The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. All right, if you have your Bibles again, go with me. Genesis chapter 43. For uh, several weeks now, we have been looking in depth at the life of this man by the name of Joseph who is the great-grandson of Abraham, the grandson of Isaac, and the son of Jacob, these great patriarchs of our faith. And this evening, we're going to continue to, to look at this section of Scripture in Genesis, but I want to talk today more about Joseph's brother uh, by the name of Judah. And as we look at Judah's life, I just want to speak a few minutes on how God can change anyone. How many believe that there is nobody who is out of the reach of God? And this is important because there are many people in our world today who we may think are beyond the ability to change. We might think this person, I think, is even out of the reach of God. But it's important that we don't discount anybody, that we don't neglect anybody, no matter what. How far gone you think they are, as a matter of fact, some of the greatest Christians are those who somebody has thought was too far gone. It seems like God loves turning lives like that around, and um, it's just His grace. And as I prepared for this message, I couldn't help but just be immensely grateful for those in my life. I, you know, I went through a really rebellious time in my teenage years. I grew up in the church, but... I was out of anybody in my 75 uh, student youth group. I was probably one of the most rebellious kids. And um, I'm just grateful. I had some youth leaders who, who didn't write me off, who believed in me. I had um, family members who, who never wrote me off, who continued to believe that God had a plan for my life. And I'm grateful more than anything that God himself didn't write me off, that even in my most rebellious years, that his grace was sufficient, that he sustained me. And so I want to offer that same respect and that same amount of hope to other people who may feel like, man, other people have written me off. I want to be the church that says, hey, man, I believe God can reach you. Amen. I believe God can still change your life no matter what you've done no matter where you've been. So Joseph's brother, Judah, is not by any means, hey, a, uh, a great man. He, he's got some issues. And though he comes from this kind of great heritage of faith, there seems in his life, we don't know the whole story, but there seems almost no inclination of godliness in his life. Okay? The bend of his heart is not towards righteousness, it doesn't seem so. With that in mind, I invite you to turn to Genesis 43 in verse 1, and it says this, the famine was severe in the land. Remember, this had been prophesied, right? Um, seven years of abundance, seven years of famine. So imagine that, what was prophesied, what God gave Joseph, in fact, comes to pass. And when they had eaten the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, 
You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel, who is Jacob, said, Why do you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? And they replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and about our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was in answer to these questions. Could we in any way have known that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would, know we would now have returned twice. And their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags. Carry a present down to the man, a little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio, nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise, go again to the man. By the way, the man, if you remember, is Joseph, but the brothers have no idea this is who it is. It's been almost 20, it's over 20 years since they've seen him. Verse 14, may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. So I want to begin simply by looking at Judah's struggle. Judah's struggle. Before we get to his change, we I think we see in this verse an incredible, or these verses, an incredible transformation start to happen. I want to give you a glimpse of the severity of his sin. Number one, you'll see that he is not a great brother. Uh, Judah is not a great brother. Uh, you remember Jacob, Joseph's father, has four wives, at least 13 children, and he favors Joseph. And all of his brothers really loathe him for this. They hate him for this. And on top of this, God gives Joseph this great dream. And so the brothers just grow to despise him more and more. I mean, they just cannot stand him. So much so that they want him dead. I mean, they just want to kill him. They want to wipe him off the face of the earth. Well, in chapter 37, verse 26, Judah says this. He says to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Now, that sounds like he might be trying to help out here. And the next sentence should be, Hey, let's take him back home. But listen to what he says. Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. Let's just sell him into slavery, right? And his brothers listened to him. So Judah is not a great brother. Would you agree? Okay, not only that, he's not a great son. Uh, go back to chapter 37, verse 31. They took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This is what we found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. 
And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is in doubt, is, is without doubt, torn to pieces. Now, there is nothing in this life, we talked about this a few weeks ago, there's nothing in this life that is, is tragic that hurts more than losing a child. Uh, experts will tell you this, psychologists will tell you this, and people who've been through it will tell you there's nothing that compares uh, the, the pain to the pain like losing a child, like so tragic. Can you imagine how cold-hearted do you have to be I mean, think about this. Here's his beloved son, Joseph. He's given him this robe. They dip it in blood. Not only do they say, hey, we don't know where he's at. They, they, they make him think literally he's been ripped apart limb by limb by a wild animal. And this goes on for years. And guys, if you've, if you've known somebody who's lost a child, my, my in-laws lost a, a son. Um, Nikki's brother was two years old, thrown through a car windshield and, and died instantly. And I'm telling you, it's been 30-something years, and they've, they're, not, they're not past. You don't move past that. It's not something you just get over. And yet, I, I just can't imagine how cold-hearted somebody would have to be to let a father think day by day by day, my son's dead. My son's been ripped apart limb by limb by a wild animal. It's not a great son. Not only that, he's not a great husband. Chapter 38 and verse 1, it said, It happened at the time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. And there Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and he went into her and she conceived and bore a son she called, and he called his name Ur. And she conceived again and bore a son and she called his name Onan. And yet again she bore a son and called his name Shelah. So Judah separated himself from his family, right, from the, this, his, his brothers. And, and for a time, he was very much influenced by the pagan um, Canaanite culture, the people around him. Something, you know, he was not supposed to intermingle with these people. And he was, instead of influencing the culture, he was influenced by this pagan culture. And he becomes friends with someone by the name of Hira, all right? And it kind of goes downhill from there. Have you ever had a friend like that? Yeah, there's, there's two kind of friends. There's their friend who says, hey, this is a bad idea. We shouldn't do it. And then how many know there's a friend that says, hey, this is a bad idea. Let's do it. How many have ever had a friend like that? In honesty, how many have ever been that friend? I was going to say, all right. Yeah. So Jacob is so influenced by the culture that he ends up marrying this Canaanite woman and in Genesis, we, we see that this is just not ever applauded, okay? This is not ideal. You just don't get the sense that this is a godly marriage in any way, shape, or form. So Judah does not seem to be a great husband. Not only that, he's not a great father. In chapter 38, verse 6, And Judah took a wife for her, his firstborn, and uh, her name was Tamar. Now, you're probably familiar with that name. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. We don't talk about this side of God, do we? Judah had three sons, and you can read in Genesis 38 that God killed two of the three sons because of their wickedness. Like, how wicked do you have to be for God to strike two of your sons dead? 
Because I don't think Judah necessarily received the Father of the Year award. I'm just saying. All right? He's not a great father. Not only that, get this. This is kind of sick. He's not a great father-in-law. All right? Like, I'm telling you, Jerry Springer has nothing on the Bible. I'm just telling you. Like, this is crazy. Ur, who is Judah's firstborn, married a lady by the name of Tamar, right? Because of Ur's wickedness, God kills him, leaving Tamar to be a widow. Now, kind of stay with me here. To fulfill the custom of what's called the uh, Leverite marriage, Judah instructs his middle son, Onan, to marry Tamar and to give her children, right? So Onan marries Tamar, sleeps with her, but rebels by spilling his seed on the ground. Okay, we'll just leave that there. And because of this disobedience, God kills now Onan, leaving Tamar a childless widow again. So Judah begins to notice a pattern here, right? Every man that marries Tamar seems to die shortly after. All right? He can't find fault in his own sons. And isn't that interesting? Sometimes with our kids, it's everybody else's fault, right? So he's like, man, this is, it's Tamar. It's not my kids. I know it's Tamar. So he resolves that it must be Tamar's fault. So he doesn't want his youngest son, Sheila, to marry her. So he sends Tamar to her family. And he says, listen, there, there's this kind of undergirding pretext that she would one day marry him. But that one day never comes. So Tamar decides to take matters into her own hands. Here's what she does. After Judah's wife dies, Tamar disguises herself. This is, right, Judah is her father-in-law. Tamar disguises herself, and Judah doesn't recognize her when he runs to her, into her, and he thinks she is a prostitute. Guys, this is one of the patriarchs of our faith, all right? So he requests to have sexual intercourse with her. They sleep together. He gets her pregnant. This is his daughter-in-law. And he doesn't recognize her. But later he realizes that he was the one who impregnates his daughter-in-law. What a day that would be. And she gives birth to twins. So can we just agree? He's probably not the best father-in-law, okay? I just would say tonight, count your blessings for your family, all right? Just saying. So, we see no evidence in his life anyway. I just want you to get this picture. We see no evidence of him wanting to please the Lord. Now, just let me give you a little bit of application here. What, you know what we see? And we see this throughout the Bible. We see the doctrine of what we call the, um, total depravity. The doctrine of total depravity, meaning this. Guys, apart from Christ... We are more wicked and more helpless and more hopeless than we could ever dare imagine. We just don't have, it's, it's really hard to minister. I was um, discipling somebody today and I said, you know, it's really hard to, to, or to reach and share your faith with people of, in, in the Western world. And, and the reason being is they don't have a, a good grasp of sin. And I think these are just little slap on the wrist issues. They don't see the great offense it is to God. They don't, there, there's no um, understanding of our depravity. And that's why Jesus says, remember in Matthew 5, the, the great Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes we call them? Blessed, I think it's the first one, Matthew 5 verse 3, I believe it's, blessed are what? The poor in spirit. You know what that means? It does, it's not, he's not talking about money there. He's talking about understanding your own spiritual depravity. 
The only way that you can get heaven, the only way that you can receive Christ is to first understand, wow, I am hopeless apart from a Savior. So what we see in Judah, we actually can see in every single man and woman on this earth, right? Because of the great fall. Apart from Jesus Christ, every one of us, before we judge Judah too harshly, every one of us, this is the state of our heart. Okay, I'm like, what in the world? That's your Bible, right? If, if something's going to play, let it be the Bible. Right? It's like, next verse, Chris. But we can, we can relate to him. And so, and I think the Bible kind of accentuates, I mean, when you read through, especially the Old Testament, but even the New, and you just see kind of the rampant sin, you think, why is this in the Bible? It's to show our own depravity. The whole Old Testament, you know what it does? It anticipates the need for a Savior. When you read through, I, I brought this out on Sunday, when you read through Proverbs and you go, man, I'm not living a very wise life, right? Like this is wisdom literature. It's like I struggle in this and I'm not doing this. The whole book, it, it's showing us that no, we don't live wise lives. We need a Savior. So as I said Sunday, even Solomon himself couldn't live up live up to his own words of wisdom. I mean, he failed miserably. <laughs> and so this just gives us a picture of the human heart, not just Judah's heart. This is a picture of the human heart. And what's so interesting, this is not a Canaanite man. This is one of the, this is one of the men who become the father of, of the, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. This is crazy. Romans 3, 9 says this, What then? Are we Jews any better off? Not at all. We've all charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it's written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. Now watch this. No one seeks God. You ever thought about that? Not only can you not make yourself right with God, apart from His grace, you will not, you are so depraved, I am so depraved, apart from Jesus and the grace of God, that I will not even seek God on my own because I am in such a rebellious state in, according to like the fallen nature, right? It's a, it's a crazy thought. That's why the Bible says, have you ever thought about this? None can come to the Father unless what? Unless He draws you. Right? So it's, it's grace. Um, that's why we never say this. We, we try not to say this in this church. I found God. No, you did not. No, yeah, God, God wasn't lost, right? God like that. You did not find God, friend. God found you. Even your faith is a gift from God, lest any man boast, right? It's amazing. So thank God for grace. Thank God for sending his son. Then you go to 2 Corinthians 5. So that's our fallen state. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, famous verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And this is just incredible. So now we are, we are made new in Christ. 
This is incredible. Here's what I want you to see. We may not be guilty of the same exact sins of Judah, but we've all sinned. Can we agree? And that we were reading today that if, if we break one law, what are we guilty of? All of the law. We're cursed trying to live according to the law because if we break one, we've broken them all. We're just law breakers. Left to ourselves, friends, we would not have even sought God, but by His grace, the Father has drawn us. Because of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who died in our place, we are transformed, we are redeemed, we are made new. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, uh, this is what I love, because that's the way we're saved. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Because it means no one is outside of the reach of God. Because it's level playing ground. We're, we're all depraved, right? Which means God can reach anybody. It's amazing. And even Judah experiences, I believe, quite a transformation by God's grace. So we looked at his struggle. Let's look secondly at his surrender. Let me just remind you of where we're at in the story. After Joseph is taken from prison, he is promoted to what we call the prime minister of Egypt or governor of Egypt, however you want to say it. There's seven years of abundance throughout the land, followed by seven years of famine. And in the years of abundance, God gives Joseph the wisdom to store up food and grain and kind of have this reserve, the surplus to sustain them through the years of famine. And when the famine comes, it affects not just Egypt, Egypt, but it affects Canaan too, where Joseph's brothers and his family reside. And during this famine, it, famine, if someone wants to get food, where do they have to go? They have to go to Egypt. That's where the reserve is. And who do they have to see? Who has to give the stamp of approval before anything, any food can be sold? It's Joseph. And so last week we were in Genesis 42 where 10 of Joseph's brothers make their way to Egypt to buy grain. They have no clue they're going to encounter their brother. And when they arrive, Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize their brother. They bow down before him. This dream, remember, that was given some 20 years ago is coming to pass. They have no clue they're at their brother's mercy. And it would be Wise, just to say here, uh, just to note, be careful who you walk away from. Be careful about burning bridges. Be sure to, to you know, anytime you leave a job or wh whatever situation it might be, always leave on the best terms possible. You never know when you may need that person again, right? Luckily for Joseph's brothers, he is a graceful man, a forgiving magnanimous man so still not revealing himself here's what happens joseph forgives his brothers he blesses them he commands that the brothers return home and bring back benjamin their youngest brother he's concerned for benjamin you pick up on this like he, he's concerned he wants to make sure he's all right they haven't done the same thing to benjamin that they've done to him right so he takes one of the brothers named simeon and he puts him in a prison as surety for their return this is just wisdom all right this isn't retaliation. He just rightly doesn't trust his brothers fully, right? And he says, you return with your brother and no harm will come to Simeon. So Joseph, in spite of all the harm that's been brought against him, remember what he does? He gives them food for their journey home. He fills their sacks up with food and their, their bags with grain and even has 
money secretly put back in their bags. You know what he's doing here? This is the other side of the cross, and he's living out what Jesus asked us to live out, blessing those who curse us. It's incredible. And here's where we pick up today. Joseph's brothers are making their way back to Canaan now. They arrive home and they fill Jacob in, the father, on what's going on. They tell Jacob that they must return to, uh, to Egypt, only this time they must bring Benjamin as well. They still have, listen, no clue that they're dealing with Joseph. So Jacob is heartbroken. He's reluctant to send Benjamin back with him because essentially he says, listen, I've already lost one son. I'm not going to lose another. And here's where we see a major change starting to take place in Judah's life. Look at verse 8 in chapter 43. Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me. We will arise and go that we may live and not die both we and you and also our little ones, I will be a pledge of safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. Somebody's growing up, right? You know what he's doing here? Judah is taking responsibility. He's moved from a, a place of avoiding responsibility to taking responsibility. And he, here's what I love about Judah. He does not let his bad decisions in the past stop him from making a good decision right now. And I would just encourage you, because I see this all the time, where, where people refuse to walk in what God has for them today because of bad decisions they have made in the past. Well, after I've done this, I just don't know. I just, you know, listen, the past is the past. God is a God of second chances. He's got a future for you. No matter what your past is, I believe he has a future for you. You think of the Apostle Paul. What if he was, I mean, he kind of had a colorful past, did he not? Well, he was a religious man. And so religious that he had Christians killed. And yet he went on to be a great apostle writing over half of our New Testament. It's incredible. So I just, I just encourage you, don't let your past stop you from the future that God has for you. In his previous ways, Judah has been very narcissistic, right? Rebellious, self-centered, but now he's thinking not just of himself, but of, he's thinking of his family. He doesn't say, hey, send somebody else. He says, I'll go and I'll take responsibility. He says, if Benjamin doesn't return home, watch this. It's not on any of my other brothers. It's on me. God uses Judah in a mighty way. Now, you may... Look at this part of the story. It may not seem significant to you, but this is where I start seeing just at least minute changes in Judah's heart. And God uses him tremendously. And I, I think, you know what? When we see people far from the Lord, we need to celebrate the small changes that we see. I try to remember this with my, my children when there's the small areas of improvement in their life. We need to celebrate those moments. And it's interesting that you kind of read on in, the, in redemptive history, the story of the Bible, and it is actually through Judah's line, right, that King David comes and then comes the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. How interesting is that? The man who was a horrible father, a horrible husband, a messed up brother, Messed up father-in-law, messed up person, 
If you go, matter of fact, if you go over to Matthew chapter 1 and you read Matthew's version of the Christmas story, remember the genealogy of Christ, don't ever blow past that. There's some great truths in that Matthew chapter 1 section that I know seems so boring at first. Because there you'll find Judah and Tamar's name mentioned. I mean, this is incredible in the lineage of Jesus Christ. That's the kind of God we serve. And so I would just say that, listen, no matter what your past has been, God can give you a, an incredible future. Incredible future. So, so don't, don't kind of waller in self-pity in the past or shame. Listen, repent, which means turn from and move on and let the grace of God, where sin abounds, let grace all the more abound. Right? Let, your, let the Lord turn your story around. If God can change Judah's heart, I believe that he can change you as well. So there's a pastor by the name of Bob Page who told the story of another pastor named Steve Yeshek from Crystal Lake, Illinois, Illinois, who lost his sister Judy after a five-year battle with cancer. It's an incredible story. She was a woman who, as Steve described her, was a party animal. A big drinker with a self-centered lifestyle. She was somebody everybody loved because she exuded excitement and she was kind of the life of the party. You ever known somebody like that? When Steve tried to share Jesus with her over the years, she would laugh at him and she'd just keep on with her party lifestyle. But at the age of 44, her world, world kind of caved in. She found out that she had breast cancer. She later learned that her husband had cancer as well. Adding to the devastation of these two blows, she discovered her husband was having an affair. He subsequently announced he didn't love her anymore. He left her. And it was in that context that she began to ask eternal questions and soon prayed to receive Jesus Christ as her Savior. From that time until her death, Jesus and his word and Purpose became her priority. With that same vibrance that she lived life as an unbeliever, she now approached her new life in Christ. Her greatest aim was winning others to Jesus. She boldly shared her faith, even as she was undergoing surgery after surgery, praying for a miraculous healing from the Lord. And Judy ultimately came to see that the greater miracle would be for her friends and her family to know Christ. Even as she struggled for every single breath, she talked her way out of the hospital about 10 days before her death so that she could be baptized publicly, profess her faith, publicly proclaim Christ as the only way of salvation. Judy invited everyone she knew to come to her baptism service. Watch this, under the Spirit's anointing, she powerfully and urgently shared her testimony. Her 84-year-old father came to faith in Christ that night, was baptized along with her ex-husband. A number of nieces, a college roommate who was a new age cultist, her aunt, her sister, and others. Ten days later, Judy died. Even still, more people came to know the Savior. When Steve read the message she had prepared for her own funeral service, another 100 people prayed to receive Christ that day. Friends, nobody is out of the reach of God. 
And I just encourage you, maybe you're here tonight, maybe you've messed up royally. I just want you to know your story is not over. Perhaps you have somebody in your life who you are really doubtful about. Like you just think, man, I've been praying for years. I've been sharing for years. I just want to compel you. Don't give up. For wayward sons and wayward daughters, nieces and nephews, co-workers, mothers, fathers, don't give up. No one is out of his reach. Just remember that when you have a, when we have an understanding of sin as God sees it, we, we have this kind of hierarchy of sins, right? But sin in God's book is sin. It's all offensive. It offends him. The holy, perfect God, it, it is greatly offensive to him. And it all, from a lie, what we would call a white lie, to murder, it separates fallen human beings from a holy God. The drug addict is no different than the deacon. The prostitute, no different than the preacher. The ground at the foot of the cross, the foot of the cross is level ground. And that just reminds us when we see somebody who we in our minds go, wow, that person's evil, that person's gone. We have to think of our own hearts and say, well, I might not have been doing the same things that they were doing. I might not have been shooting up. I might not have been getting drunk every weekend. I might not have been going out on my wife. Whatever you think would be the, the worst of sins. But my sin in the eyes of God separated me the same. It, it did the same thing to me as their sin did to their relationship with God. And to me, that just gives me hope for everybody because that means if God can save me, God can save them. Thank God for his mercy. Are you grateful that by his grace you sit here tonight? We'd be reminded that's the only reason we're here. And I want to just close by crying out for those people who need the Lord in our lives as we remember that they are not outside of his reach. How many have somebody in their life right now that they'd like to lift up? Pastor, I'd, I'd like to lift up. Okay, as we pray, let's pray together corporately, all right? As we pray, you call out that son, that daughter, that niece, nephew, friend, whoever it is, and uh, let's pray and believe God to reach out to them. Amen. Draw them by His Spirit and by His grace to Himself. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.